Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, this morning we are going to be in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. When you got your bulletin this morning, you should have got a handout that looks something like this. Um, This is nothing other than just the ESV text of Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. But I printed it out like this for a few different reasons. The first reason is that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 is technically one psalm. So I wanted you to see it on one page here and not have to trace it through your Bible. Um, The second reason that I made this for you is that this is Hebrew poetry. So we've been in the summer in the Psalm series, and this is poetry. So poetry often has an intentional structure. And so when you look at your handout, you will see the intentional structure. You'll see you have three columns. Those columns are called stanzas. And at the end of each stanza, you'll see a bold-faced text, which is called the refrain. And when you look, you'll notice that each stanza at the bottom has the exact same refrain. So that's the structure that's holding this psalm together. And as we move through, you'll see how the psalmist always ends in the same refrain, which will be hoping in God. I'm going to read the whole text But before I do, I want to point out just a couple other bits of information that's important to know uh, and to have some categories of, of thinking in your mind while I'm reading. And the first thing that I want you to know is that this psalm is a lament. Okay, it's a psalm of lament. And if you don't know what a lament is, there should be a definition behind me. And a lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. And so if we were to look at all the other psalms of lament, you would see they all have this exact same pattern. They all, they all uh, have the psalmist praying very honestly, often from a place of pain. But he always ends in trust. And all the psalms of lament are always very honest, but they're also very hopeful. And you're going to see that same pattern in our lament today. So, as I read through, I just want you to notice those elements. And I want you to think to yourself, when my soul is cast down and when I'm confronted with lamentable situations, is this how I pray? Am I only honest and not hopeful? Or am I only hopeful and not honest? It needs to be the two paired together. So I'm going to read the whole text, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to walk right back through the psalm, and I'm going to highlight some things from each stanza for us. So Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, if you have the handout, follow along on there. If not, you can turn there in your Bible as well. Why are you cast down, O my soul? To the choir master, a maskal of the sons of Korah. 
As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let us pray. Lord, as we open your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. And Lord, as we examine this psalm of lament, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember to pray like you've taught us to pray when we find ourselves in our lamentable situations and with a cast down soul. And Lord, we uh, thank you that your word will guide us and direct us in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you look at the title of the psalm, you'll see that the title says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Now that title is just simply a summary statement by the ESV translators. So if you had a different translation, it would say something different. So that's just a simple summary statement. 
But underneath of that, you see a line that says, To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Here is our technical title of our psalm. And right in the middle of that title, you see the word that says mascal. Not a common word for us, but it's a very important word that teaches us what this psalm wants us to do. And it wants us to learn something. That term is pointing us to the fact that this psalm wants to teach us something. And what it wants to teach us is the cure for a cast down soul. And the cure for a cast down soul is the main theme or main point of the whole text. And so the cure for a cast down soul is to hope in God. That's the main point of the whole psalm. Hope in God. Very easy to remember, but very difficult to do often when we find ourselves with a cast down soul. is to remember to hope in God. So let me ask you, when I read through, did you happen to notice what is causing the psalmist to have a cast down soul? What's causing the psalmist to have a cast down soul is the main theme of the text. And the main theme of the text is exile. The psalmist, he is lamenting the sorrows that are caused by being exiled or away from the presence of God. Now, it's important to remember that the psalmist isn't confused. He's not having an existential crisis about God's presence. He, he hasn't lost God. That's not what he's lamenting. He's not walking around wondering where God went. What he is lamenting is the sorrow and the pain, and the suffering that exists outside of the fullness of joy and peace and righteousness that exists when God and man dwell together unhindered, without sin in our lives. And aren't we living a similar exile experience? Think about it. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, We have experienced the joy of salvation. We have been saved from the punishment of sin. But we still experience the very same sorrow and pain and suffering and the effects of sin that are caused by the fall that the psalmist experienced. So like this psalmist, we are living in a space that is between salvation on one end and our hope of the fullness of joy that we will possess when Christ returns in the restoration of all things on the other end. So that space that is in between is a space of sojourning or exile as the Apostle Peter teaches us. Now, back to your sheet for a second. As we move through this psalm of lament, and as we go stanza by stanza by stanza, you're going to notice that there's a past, a present, and a future movement to the psalm. In the first stanza, you'll see that the psalmist remembers the past. And in the second stanza, 
you'll see that the psalmist questions his present circumstances. And then in the last stanza, you'll see that the psalmist anticipates the future. So look at stanza one. In this stanza, the psalmist is lamenting his exile experience in verses one through three. In verse four, the psalmist is remembering the joy of his salvation. And in verse five, the psalmist will have a renewed hope in God. So let's start with verses one through three. In verses one through three, we see the hallmarks of a cast down soul. The psalmist is sorrowful, he's desperate, he's being taunted within his own soul and from his enemies outside of him, and he is thirsting for the Lord's presence. So we could say that the psalmist has hit rock bottom in verses 1 through 3. And if you remember our definition of lament, it's a prayer and pain that leads to trust Verses 1 through 3 is the prayer and pain part. But though the psalmist has a cast down soul, and though he is lamenting, I think it's important to point out what he is not doing. Because the things that he is not doing are the things that we're most often tempted to do when we find ourselves with a cast down soul. So think with me what he is not doing. The psalmist, though cast down, is not out looking for answers that will satisfy his cast down soul. He's not taking an inventory of different philosophies and different opinions and different ways of thinking. It's not what he's doing. The psalmist knows, without a shadow of a doubt, that there is one thing and one thing only that will satisfy his thirst. And the psalmist knows that there's one thing and one thing only that will cure his cast down soul. And, we, and he knows there's one thing that will save him from this exile experience that he is experiencing. And you see that in verse 2. The psalmist says his soul thirsts for the living God. So he knows his source of hope. He's not wandering around aimlessly. Amen? And so, think about your own life in the context of verses 1 through 3. Have you experienced this sort of cast-down soul where you're longing for the presence of God? We all have. If you haven't, uh, you just haven't lived long enough. Give it time. You, you, you will be there. But should we find it surprising when we find ourselves with a cast-down soul? No, we shouldn't find it surprising at all because Jesus said that in this life, you'll have tribulation. So we know it's coming. So Jesus was very honest about us and what we will experience in our exiled state. But Jesus also offered us hope because he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. So if your soul is cast down because of where we are in this present exile experience, and if you are in Christ, you will be saved out of it eventually. So, what are we to do when we find ourselves with a cast down soul like the psalmist here? Well, remember, it's a psalm that wants to teach us something. 
So we must do what the psalmist is teaching us to do. And the psalmist is teaching us to remember the past. And specifically, the joy of our salvation. And when I say the joy of our salvation, I mean everything that's included in the person and work of Christ. Everything that would fall under that category. That's what the psalmist is teaching us to remember when we have a cast down soul. And we see this in verse 4. In verse 4, the psalmist begins to reflect on past experiences of joy that he had experienced with the Lord and with the people of God. And he is remembering the Lord's ability to bring salvation. And as he does this, you're going to see it in a second, he begins to move from pain to trust, just like our definition. Look at verse 4 again. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now this verse, it may be my favorite verse in the whole psalm. It's very fascinating because in this verse, the psalmist's emotion is both sorrow and joy. He's sorrowful for what he is not currently possessing, but he is joyful because he knows the Lord's salvation will once again bring him to that place. You see it, it says he pours out his soul, so that's sorrowfully, and he remembers the joyous experiences of the Lord's salvation. And we see that in the terms like glad shouts, songs of praise, keeping festival. Uh, keeping festival would be um, the festivals that they kept uh, in the Old Testament, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, uh, and those were all joyous celebrations of remembering the Lord's salvation. So that's what he is doing here in the midst of his uh, experience with a cast down soul. Then that's often our experience too. I mean, we think about, you know, we have a long week. We have many lamentable situations come our way. And we come in Sunday morning cast down, but what do we do? We begin to sing praises about the Lord. We begin to hear the Lord's words spoken to us. And as those things happen, as we remember the joy of our salvation, we begin to move from that painful place of a cast down soul, and we begin to once again hope in God. Amen? And if we follow that pattern of a biblical lament, we should always land where the psalmist lands, and he lands in verse 5. Look at verse 5. This is the refrain of the poem. It's the refrain of lament. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Now that's a good question considering the joy of our salvation. Amen? And it ends, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. So if we lament biblically, this is where we should always land. Hope in God. Amen? 
So we've seen the pattern in this first stanza. The, the psalmist had a cast down soul. He remembered the joy of his salvation. And he once again possessed hope and trust in God. And this is the same pattern you're going to see through each one of these stanzas. It doesn't differ. It's the same pattern in each one. So let's look at stanza two. In stanza two, you're going to notice that the psalmist questions the present. He's questioning his present circumstances. So in this second stanza, of course he's still in exile. That theme's maintained throughout. But this time, the psalmist is questioning his present circumstances. And his present experience of oppression by his enemies is challenging the psalmist's understanding of the steadfast love of the Lord. And so from our psalmist's isolated position, we see that he's in the northernmost region of Israel, just meaning that he's away from the sanctuary where the presence of God dwells. He's away from the people of God, still in exile. And from this isolated position, the psalmist is wrestling with a profound theological question. And the question that he is wrestling with in this second stanza is the question that we most often wrestle with when we find ourselves questioning our present circumstances. Let's look at verses 7 through 9 again, and then I'll tell you what he is questioning. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Our psalmist is wrestling with the doctrine of the providence of God. He's still in exile, and he feels that he is drowning from the oppression of his enemies. But did you notice what he said in verse 7? Who is directing the waves that are causing our psalmist's cast down soul? It's not his enemies. It is the Lord. He says, your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves have gone over me. But if it's his enemies who are oppressing him, how is it God's waves? It is because the Lord is sovereign over all. He's sovereign over the psalmist's exile experience. The Lord is sovereign over the psalmist's enemies. And the Lord is sovereign over the psalmist's cast down soul. That's what the doctrine of the providence of God teaches us. It teaches us that God is active in all that happens in the world. And not only is he active in everything that happens, he's directing all things to their divinely appointed ends. Amen? And though our situations are complicated, and though there's many secondary causes in our situations, 
We must, like the psalmist, choose to believe that our current circumstances are not the result of chance, but are the result of providence. I have a quote here by uh, Old Testament scholar James Golden Gay, and I think it helps to clarify this mystery of providence a little bit. It says, quote, At first sight, the belief that God is behind the trouble that comes to us is a frightening doctrine. But what's the alternative? A God whose purpose is continually being frustrated by evil? That's even more frightening. End quote. So what must we do? We must just simply trust that the Lord is present and active in our current circumstances that are causing us to have a cast down soul. However complicated that is, it's just trusting that the Lord is present and active. Amen? Now, I realize that the doctrine of the providence of God often generates way more questions than it gives answers. Um, I'm well aware of that. And I don't have any answers for your most difficult questions surrounding your current circumstances. I don't have the answers. But what I can point you to is the answer that the text gives. Amen? And the text tells us, in the midst of our difficult circumstances, to cling to the steadfast love of the Lord. And we see that between the Lord's waves in verse 7 and the question of God's absence in verse 9, we see the psalmist do what we should all do when we question our present circumstances. And the psalmist reaches out and he clings to the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen? And isn't that what we need when we feel like we are drowning from the waves of our current circumstances? We need something solid. We need a rock. We need an anchor. And the steadfast love of the Lord is the answer. Now, once again, notice what the psalmist isn't doing when he's questioning his current circumstances. The psalmist, though he feels as if he is drowning... He is not cursing God. The psalmist doesn't walk away from God. And the psalmist doesn't look for a new God simply because his circumstances are difficult. The psalmist, with unanswerable questions still on his mind, chooses to cling to the steadfast love of the Lord. The psalmist knows that as sure as the Lord commands the waves, the Lord also commands his steadfast love. And know this, waves are temporary. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Amen. So what does this all mean for us in our current circumstances? How do we apply this? It means that the steadfast love of the Lord is a demonstration of the Lord's covenant faithfulness. Which means 
that the steadfast love of the Lord is a demonstration of the Lord's character. And it means that His covenant faithfulness, if you are in a a covenant relationship with the Lord, if you have placed your faith in Christ, it means that you will not be lost or separated by the current circumstances that feel like they're going to take you away. You will not be lost. It means that your survival of the flood of circumstances in your life that you're questioning, your survival of that will be a reflection of God's character, not your strength. So, when your soul is cast down because you're questioning your present circumstances, I just urge you to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen? And when you consider the steadfast love of the Lord, you will begin to move from pain to trust. The steadfast love of the Lord in stanza two is just like remembrance in stanza one. It is what moves you into the refrain of lament. Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Well, that's a good question, considering the steadfast love of the Lord. And so we've seen that in this stanza, it's the same pattern. The psalmist begins with a cast-down soul. He considers the steadfast love of the Lord, and he ends with a renewed hope or trust in the Lord. So let's look at stanza three. In stanza three... The psalmist is still lamenting his exile experience, uh, but this time he's anticipating the future. And he asked the Lord to send his light and his truth to lead him back to the Lord's presence. So like I said, all the same themes are maintained. He's still in exile, still cast down, still lamenting. But what I want to do in this stanza is a little bit different. Um, I want to move us towards closing this message, so I'm not going into as much detail about what's going on because it's all the same pattern in each stanza. But I want to point out one important thing to you as the psalmist anticipates the future. And as he anticipates the Lord's redemption and leading him back to his presence, I want to point out that the psalmist knows the source of his redemption and his restoration. And we see it in verse 3. The psalmist is praying to the Lord to send out his light and his truth. So what are light and truth? Light speaks of the fullness of the Lord's redemption. And truth speaks of the Lord's covenant faithfulness. But what's easily missed in this stanza, remember this is poetry, so they use different literary devices. And what's easily missed is that the psalmist speaks of light and truth as if they are a person that can lead him into redemption. And I hope some light bulbs go off with that. Our psalmist, well, light and truth, they do become personified in Christ. Amen? 
Jesus is both the fullness of God's redemption and the fullness of God's restoration and covenant faithfulness. So in Christ, the prayers of the psalmist are answered. In John 8, 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And of truth, Jesus says this in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, if we want to be led out of this exile experience, if we want to have hope in God in the future, we need to follow Jesus. If we need someone to pour our souls out to in honest lament, like the psalm teaches us, we pray to Jesus. If we want to hope in God, we hope in Jesus. So, I encourage you, when you find yourself with a cast-down soul, turn to this lament, remind yourself how to lament biblically, and pray that way to the Lord. Amen? So, in conclusion, remember the joy of your salvation. Question your present circumstances, but trust that the Lord is providential and that His steadfast love endures forever. And anticipate the future when the light and truth that is in Christ leads us back into the presence of God where there will be no more cast down souls. Amen? So I'm going to pray while the worship team comes up. And we're going to close with a song, Come As You Are. And the song is really good uh, to lament to. So if you, if you need to lament about a situation, use this time and this song to do that. Let me pray for us and then they'll close us out. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this time and the freedom that we have to proclaim your word publicly and openly. And Lord, I pray that you would be with these people as they go about their week. And Lord, I pray that you would be close to their hearts and minds and that they would call upon you at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.